welcome to Speak the Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, go ahead and do so right now. I come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning that you're going to want to check out, chock full of all kinds of great dog information. And if you haven't followed me on Instagram yet, go ahead and check that out too. Uh, at Speak a Dogcast, of course. Yeah. Now, before we get going today, you know, today is actually Wednesday, November the 10th. And so we're going to start this episode off with actually wishing a very happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Yes, founded on November 10th, 1775, that would make the Marine Corps 246 years old. Yes, the Jarheads, Devil Dogs, Leathernecks, we've all heard those nicknames, but maybe you haven't heard the Tufelhunden. I wanted to share that with you guys today. Tufelhunden, that's actually German for Devil Dogs. That was the nickname bestowed upon the Marine Corps in World War I, or at least as the legend goes, right? Uh, but again, a very, very happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps. And that, you know, brings us kind of to the next next topic. Next point is tomorrow. Tomorrow is November the 11th, and that means it's Veterans Day. So today we're doing a very special episode dedicated to the military and, of course, dedicated a salute to our military dogs. That's going to be our first segment today. We're going to talk about dogs and their role in the military, some of the history that goes on there, and, you know, very grateful and a Big thank you to everyone that has served in the military, including our four-legged friends. Then we're going to have the Breed of the Week and Listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the Listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. But before we get going today, got to give you that trivia question, and of course, has to be military-related. Question is, what is the mascot of the United States Marine Corps? Yes, what is the mascot of the U.S. Marine Corps? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's a salute to our military dogs. Dogs have had a long history with fighting in combat situations alongside humans, you know, really for as long as we've been domesticating the dog, they've been accompanying man on the battlefield. Ancient civilizations such as the, the Persians, the Assyrian peoples, you know, they have well-documented evidence of their use with dogs in times of war. Napoleon was in fact known to use guard dogs chained to the walls of Alexandria to scare off potential attackers. Now today, it's a little different, but it's also no different, right? We still use dogs in the military and for guarding purposes. However, we have developed entire training centers and programs dedicated to raising and teaching these dogs to become active duty members of our military. Now, really guys, training these dogs is not just a job, it has become an art form. To be able to communicate with a dog on such a deep level, to be able to manage and control their behavior in a war setting is nothing short of extraordinary. Now, the creation of organized dog training programs for military use didn't really become common practice until World, World, uh, excuse me, World War I. Now, Germany and the UK, they were the first countries to implement such programs. And at first, dogs were really mostly used just as messengers, you know. Uh, but as the training, pro training programs grew, so did the tasks being given to these dogs. This started some of the first search and rescue uh, or SAR dog programs where, where dogs were actually trained to seek and uh, seek out injured soldiers and either bring back a piece of clothing or some kind of identifying object to help locate these soldiers for rescue. Now, by 1943, the U.S. had begun their own training programs called the War Dog Program. 
an interesting factor in World War II. Dogs were actually in such high demand that the U.S. military reached out to all the citizens, right, people of the U.S. going, hey, we need your pets. <laughs> we need your pets to, for, for war. Um, and any of these dogs that they thought would make a good addition to the programs, they were encouraged to bring them out. Now, thousands, I mean, literally thousands of these dogs were brought in and they were tested for their temperament, their aggression levels, things like that. And a lot of these dogs were admitted right into the military training programs. Now, some dogs weren't cut out for this, right? And subsequently, they were returned to their families. And some of the dogs that actually made it back at the end of the war were also returned to their families as well. Now, it's estimated somewhere between 18,000 and 20,000 dogs were procured for the war effort in World War II. Now, after the war, the U.S. expanded their training programs. Dogs have actually found their way onto the battlefield in every major U.S. conflict since the beginning of the century. More recently, though, military dogs have taken on dangerous missions in the continuing conflicts going on in the Middle East and around the world. Now, they're used for a variety of tasks. One of the most important ones, though, of course, bomb detection, right? Now, as we all know it, dogs' noses, they're, they're good. They're real good. So their ability to sniff out IEDs and warn of potential danger is absolutely invaluable. Now, according to the Department of Defense, human ground patrols, right, they're able to only detect about uh, uh, IEDs 50% of the time when they're out there. You know, that's, that's crazy, 50%, that's statistic. But that number will jump way up to 80% when our canine friends take over. Now, it's, it's just incredible to see the amazing role these dogs are playing in helping and saving lives. You know, the training, it, it, it's really intensive and it's very costly. And the breed of choice for active military, military duty is the Belgian Malinois, yes. Now, they do use German Shepherds and other dogs as well, but really, that's their go-to. I believe this statistic was about 80% of the dogs being used in military service are Belgian Malinois. Now, these dogs... We actually, you know, we just did the Belgian Malinois as a breed of the week just a couple weeks ago, and we learned they're really, they're a versatile breed, right? They adapt well to hot and cold environments. They're also good at keeping calm, cool, and collected, and they're also really good at not barking. Obviously, a very important uh, thing to train when you're doing things like military service. The majority of these dogs are actually brought in from overseas breeders, and uh, most of these dogs are bred in Europe. The dogs are actually called MPCs or multiple purpose canines. Now these guys have to get used to gunfire, rappelling out of helicopters, riding in Zodiac boats, or even skydiving. Now as I talked about on the uh, recently on the September 11th podcast episode, we know these dogs were also used in helping seek out ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Now when al-Baghdadi saw Conan, that was the name of the dog, he detonated a suicide bomb and unfortunately it injured Conan in the blast. Now, luckily Conan made a full recovery all as well and, uh, and he was back in, uh, back in service and in duty in no time. Now to train one of these dogs for active service, you ready for this? The cost is around $40,000. Now that doesn't surprise me, honestly, guys. I know the time and dedication that these trainers put in and $40,000 honestly is a bargain for what they get in return, for the lives that are saved in return. Look, a fully trained and fully seasoned bomb detection dog, they've even said it can be worth upward of $150,000. But again, considering the lives that these dogs save, the soldiers these dogs save, there's really no price tag you can put on that. 
And that's why these military dogs are out there, you know, that's why they're serving and that's why there's so many of them. Um, you know, and I just wanted to touch on that training for a moment. You know, even <laughs> just a little side note, when we talk about training and dogs and time and dedication and, uh, you know, I, I hear it a lot with in-home training where people are sometimes surprised and it's not, it's not just myself. It's when they do the research and they look up other trainers. Some people are surprised by the cost that goes into training a dog. And it's, it's like, guys, the expertise, the knowledge, the time that goes into this is, is beyond what you can even comprehend when it comes to something as serious as training a dog for military operations. I mean, really these, these guys are, these trainers are unbelievable in what they do. They're unbelievably specialized in what they do. And again, worth every penny considering the reward, the benefit that comes out of it, right? Now, these trainers are also put through some pretty intense training <laughs> themselves. And to be able to get that and uh, get that training and then implement it with these dogs and create such an amazing and intense bond like no other, it's just incredible to me as an animal guy, as a dog person, you know, um, it really is. It's incredible. Now, currently, when these dogs are retired from active duty, they're brought back to the U.S., their temperament, their behaviors assessed, of course, and then they're potentially put with a family to live out their years or given back to the handler or trainer that they worked with as well, you know, to live out uh, retirement. Now, it was not always this way, though. After Vietnam, with the sudden and quick exit of the U.S. military, the working dogs that had actually dedicated their lives to saving our soldiers were left behind. They were deemed surplus equipment. I mean, it's horrible. It's beyond terrible. It's beyond reprehensible, quite frankly. I'm sorry, but it is. Now, even though many of these handlers that, that worked with these dogs during the war, they offered to pay to have the dogs pay their own money to have these dogs flown back, and the military would not permit it. Some of the dogs over there were transferred to, you know, other police and military units in southern Vietnam, and some unfortunately were euthanized. Now, after all this, there was a great public outcry, as there should be, led by many former service members who were angry with the way the military had dealt with their beloved dogs. Now, finally, in the year 2000, Robbie's Law was passed, and something called Robbie's Law, and this allows for these dogs to be adopted out to capable families and former handlers. Now, I have the utmost respect for our military and service members. My father served in the Army. My grandfather's on both sides served. Great uncle. My brother-in-law is a retired Marine. Good golf buddy of mine, retired Marine. And I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for your sacrifice and your service. Thank you. I also encourage each and every one of you tomorrow on Veterans Day, if you see someone proudly displaying the branch of military that they served in on a hat, on a shirt, be sure you go over to them. Be sure you tell them thank you for their service and that you're grateful for everything that they did and continue to do for us each and every day. Thank you. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the mascot of the United States Marine Corps? It's a bulldog named Chesty. Yes, the Bulldog was named after Lieutenant General Louis Chesty Puller, who received five Navy crosses, one U.S. Army Distinguished Service Cross, and the Silver Star for service spanning decades and multiple wars. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Lhasa Apso. The Lhasa Apso is a member of the non-sporting group, and they come in from 12 to 18 pounds. Smart, 
confident, and loyal dogs. Lhasas might be small, but they are formidable dogs. Originally, this breed had the honor of being guardians of Tibetan palaces and monasteries. Now the Lhasa is known for being a wonderful family pet that still might be a bit weary of strangers. But their goofy personalities and affectionate nature make them an ideal companion. They have a beautiful flowing coat that does require some upkeep, so be ready for some regular brushing and trips to the groomer to keep them healthy. Even though the Lhasa is a small pup, they do have a little bit of energy. However, they're pretty good at keeping themselves entertained, so a short but good brisk walk is still going to be necessary. The Lhasa Apso is a relatively healthy breed. The most serious health condition to be aware of is hereditary kidney dysfunction. There is no reliable test for it, but responsible breeders look for the condition and remove affected individuals from the breeding stock. Breeders have actually made great strides in eliminating the problem. So kept in good health, the Lhasa can live to be from 12 to 15 years old. The Lhasa Apso is an ancient breed that can trace its ancestry back to Tibet. Recorded history of the breed goes back to 800 BC. These guys were originally bred as guardians and sentinel dogs for the palaces and monasteries for Buddhist monks high in the Himalayan mountains. They would alert the Buddhist monks to any potential intruders. Now, the name Lhasa comes from the Tibetan holy city of Lhasa, and in Tibet, they are known as the Apso Sing Kai, which translate, translates roughly to Bark Lion Sentinel Dog. Now, Lhasas were highly regarded in Tibetan culture and were even considered sacred. Lhasas were not allowed to leave the country unless given as a gift by the Dalai Lama. Now, this started a close association with the Dalai Lama and the Lhasa Apso. Beginning with the Manchu dynasty in 1583 to as recently as the early 1900s, the Dalai Lama sent the dogs as a gift to the Emperor of China and other members of the imperial family as well. The Lhasa Apso made its way to the United States in 1933 when the Dalai Lama gifted a pair to renowned world traveler and naturalist C. Svinam Cutting. Now, it was not long after that that the AKC accepted the breed in 1935. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Jeff from Knoxville, Tennessee. Now Jeff says, my wife and I got a puppy a few months ago, and his training is progressing along okay, some days better than others, and we've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks now and love it. It has really helped us a lot. So our puppy has a lot of energy, and my wife thinks we need to get a second puppy to give him a friend. I think this is a bad idea. What do you think? Well, first, Jeff, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate that. And I'm, hey, I'm really happy that the, you know, the advice has helped and it's working with your puppy somewhat, right? <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love that you've taken the information and you're running with it. If you guys have do, you know, any more questions, please feel free to email me back with anything else. Um, I'd love to be able to help out. But getting to your question, uh, yeah, you know, look, I always say it's, it's, really important that you get the behavior under control of your first dog, right? Get the behavior and the training taken care of with dog number one before you think about getting dog number two. Okay, look, I mean, my wife and I, I broke that rule, but I'm the professional. I should do as I say, not as I, you know, not as I do. <laughs> no, but I mean, I got, I got Riker, my wife and I, we got Riker a couple months back and he was a puppy and, you know, I already had how many puppy friends here and then we went out and we got another dog, but Riker was very well, well trained for a puppy. 
uh, most people don't even believe him. I mean, they can clearly see he's a puppy, but they almost don't believe it because not to toot my own horn here, but he's, he's a well-behaved dog. We put in a lot of time. We put in a lot of training and that's what you get when you put in diamond training, you get a well-trained dog. So look, if your if your first puppy was phenomenal and you weren't feeling like you're having kind of rough days with the training and it's progressing okay, you know, I wanted to hear it's progressing great. If it's progressing great, sure, get him a puppy friend. You know, if you if you are ready for that, <laughs> if you know what that means. Okay, there's that disclaimer. Because here's the thing. Sometimes adding a puppy into a second puppy into the mix like that can double your trouble. It doesn't always make it easier. Okay. And to be honest, you're not going to know until you get that second dog. What I will say is if the first dog is not trained, I can pretty much guarantee <laughs> it's not going to help by bringing a second dog in. Okay. So that's, that's what I'll say about that. To be straightforward about it, getting a second dog is not going to help you if your first dog is not well-trained. That's just simple as that. Okay. So I hope that answers your question a bit. And Hey, thank you guys again for listening to the show. Next question. This comes from Vanessa from Dallas, Texas. Vanessa says, I read a lot of trainers saying I should allow my dog to sniff everywhere all the time, or I shouldn't train on a leash to start with, or I should walk my dog on a 16 foot leash to let them sniff wherever they want. I know that what you've said about the walk and leash work on the show, but I wanted to see what your thoughts were on this. Vanessa, this is a great question because I'm seeing more and more of this mentality of just let a dog do whatever the hell they want and hope it gets trained. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I've seen on social media some trainers, quote unquote trainers out there uh, that are encouraging people to train their dogs by not leashing them up. They're encouraging people to train their dogs by letting them sniff wherever they want. Guys, I'm sorry. I disagree with that wholeheartedly because behavior is all about what you reinforce and what you don't. And if you let a dog get away with sniffing and you let a dog, you teach them, this is what the walk is, uncontrolled chaos, then that's what, that's, that's what you're reinforcing. Okay. And then you have to reel it in. I would rather start with it reeled in and then give them the freedom later. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when we're four years old, I don't go, well, here's the rules of a 12 year old because I think you can handle it. <laughs> And, but, but an hour from now, I'm going to need you to, you know, I'm going to need you to act like a four-year-old again. It, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. We have to learn by the rules starting small or, or, or strict, if you will. I don't, I don't, I don't like the word strict, but we'll go with it. You have to start with your rules strict or, or to me, it's just small black and white is really the way I see you have to start by, you know, sitting on the bed, get you something, you know, every time you get off the bed, you don't get something reward and consequence. But if I just go, okay, here you go. Have fun. Go sniff. I'm not really conveying any information to my dog. And then all I'm conveying is do whatever the hell you want. So look, I know I'm sounding a little miffed about this. I am because it, it irritates me how much crappy information there is on the internet saying, let your dog do whatever they want because that's what a dog is supposed to do. No, that's incorrect, guys. That's wrong. Um, so Vanessa, I'm, I, you know, I'll be honest, I don't agree with this mentality. And I got news for you. Anytime a dog has come into any of my training programs, in-home, boot camp, whatever, and that mentality has been the mentality, the dog doesn't do very well. <laughs> the dog isn't going to be trained. That's why they called me because the dog is not trained. So I don't really understand the concept of letting your dog be untrained to train them. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, what I will hone in on is one more little thing here, sniffing, because I see this a lot. I am not going to disagree that a dog shouldn't sniff. 
right? I'm not saying a dog shouldn't have sniff time. I've never said that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we have to get the walk under control first. We have to get leash work under control first. If my dog's being phenomenal on the walk, awesome. Let's go find a great area on leash to let my dog sniff around. I don't understand why I need to forfeit 20 feet of leash. I got news for you guys. You can take a six foot leash and walk around with your dog. (laughs) and let them sniff. You don't have to stand still and give them 16 feet of leash and lose all that control. I don't, I don't get that mentality. If you want to give your dog sniff time, that's fine under the right context. So long as you keep them controlled on a six foot leash, it might be, I don't understand why you can't walk around with your dog and let them sniff. Weird. Um, you know, I think I'm going to do a topic on this at another time too, about sniffing and, and instinct and dogs and what we should allow and shouldn't allow and what's an acceptable amount of sniffing. We're going to get more into that. So, cause I think that's a little bit of what you're talking about too, is probably how much should I let my dog be sniffing on a walk? Okay. We'll talk more in depth about that at another time, but look, I kind of hope that answers your question. I know I kind of went off on a little tangent there, got up on my soapbox. Uh, look, sometimes guys, I can't help, but I'm passionate about this stuff. And it makes me crazy when I see so much inf- misin- misinformation out there, right? So to clarify that for you, no, guys, you should always start training your dogs on a two-foot leash. You should always start with two feet of leash and begin there. You shouldn't start with uncontrolled chaos and then try to reel it in. That's just counterproductive to what we're trying to accomplish in our training. So hope that answers your question, Vanessa, in a long roundabout way there. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening in. If you have any questions for that listener Q&A, email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget, get out there, thank a veteran for their service, and of course, get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.